0: If you're still asking for a record deal, you need to read my book because you are so living in the past.
1: This is John Mirasola with Sounds of Berkeley. The music business is corrupt, or maybe you just can't sing. That's the title of the No Nonsense Tough Love Music Industry Guidebook by today's guest, Professor Tanya Butler, Assistant Chair of the Music Business and Management Department at Berkeley. Butler spent 14 years as an entertainment attorney for record companies, publishers, and film studios, including Rhino Records and MGM Music, before she began her teaching career. She's led music business initiatives and programs at the Los Angeles Film School, the University of Memphis, and Minnesota State, and has made a name for herself as a motivational speaker encouraging those in the industry to take personal responsibility for their careers. She joined the Music Business and Management Department at Berkeley last year as the first woman to hold her position. Tanya, welcome to Sounds of Berkeley.
0: Thank you, John. How are you today?
1: I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm
0: terrific. Thanks for having me.
1: Great. Uh, so, I'd love to begin just uh, with a little section of your book if you'd mind reading. Sure,
0: sure. Um, you mind if I preface what the book is about sure, a little please bit do. first? Sure. Okay, so it's called The Music Business is Corrupt, or Maybe You Just Can't Sing. The subtitle is How to Take Responsibility for Your Struggling Career. And the book came about because as an entertainment attorney, and I've also worked for record companies and film companies, as you mentioned, I ran into a lot of artists, most of which were struggling artists, songwriters, musicians, producers, engineers, you name it. And they all tended to have the same complaint, which was there was something wrong with somebody else, meaning it's my manager, it's my label, uh, it's my lawyer, uh, it's the fans, it's the haters, it's Obama. It it didn't matter who. They were putting the blame on someone other than themselves. So that's what prompted me to write the book. And the chapter I'm going to read from is, You're Stupid, Or maybe you know so little about what you do that people question your intelligence. Mm -hmm. And the section I'm going to read from now is called Stupid Is As Stupid Does. A few years ago, I was a panelist during a session on entertainment law at a major music business conference in Atlanta, Georgia. During the session, a young man stepped up to the microphone to ask a question of the four or five experts that sat on the panel, including myself. The gentleman, we'll call him Sean, was in his late 20s and claimed to be a vocalist, a recording artist, and a regular attendee at music business conferences and workshops. His question was long and drawn out and started out something like this. Every time I try to work with somebody, I get robbed. Everybody I work with ends up being a crook. This one guy promised to get me a record deal, then ran off with all my money. Another guy said he would get me some shows and did the same thing. Nobody does what they say they're going to do. Everybody in this business is a liar. I want to know what can I do to keep people from ripping me off. Sean went on and on about how good or talented he was and how he was destined to become a superstar and a mogul, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, when he finally finished, each of the panelists was given the opportunity to respond to Sean's question. Some of them gave him very practical advice, such as don't pay for certain services in advance or vet people more thoroughly before working with them, the same kind of common sense advice that I usually give. However, when it was my turn to help Sean, my recommendation showed my obvious disdain for his question and was a lot less gentle. Keep your mouth shut, I shouted. Excuse me? Sean replied with a confused look on his face, and once again I responded. Keep your mouth shut. You wanted to know what could you do to keep people from robbing you? My answer to you is don't talk. Don't talk, because when you meet someone new, you need to keep your mouth shut. Why? Because your mouth is your biggest enemy. Every time you open your mouth, you open the door for someone to rob you, cheat you, take your money, and take advantage of you in the music business. And I know this sounds harsh, but I promise you it really happened. Sean stood there dumbfounded. He had no idea what I was trying to say. As I continued my rampage, I saw his eyes well up with water, but I kept on going. I wasn't trying to be cool, cruel, funny, or flip. I was dead serious. This kid was destined for disaster and needed to hear from someone willing to tell him the truth. So I explained to him and to the rest of the audience the nature of my response and the theory behind it, which was, John, that every time he opened his mouth, it was obvious that he didn't know what he was talking about. Every time he opened his mouth, it was very obvious that he was uneducated, that he didn't even care to learn about the industry that he so-called called himself being a part of, and it was obvious. So when you open your mouth and it's obvious that you're ignorant, you are destined for failure. You are destined to have somebody take advantage of you because they'll people who do know the business will know that you don't, and they'll use that to their advantage.
1: What great advice! <laughs> what uh? So, what's the appropriate next step for someone? How do you how do you gain knowledge, or how do you uh, come to a place where you you can bargain or negotiate or uh, or approach labels with more confidence about what you're saying? Well, you know, John, there used
0: to be a time, you know, back in the '40s, '50s, '60s, where artists would record, and then years later find out that they never got paid for their recordings, or never got paid for their publishing, their the, the ownership of their songs. That should not be your excuse today, which was the reason I wrote the book. Get rid of all the excuses. Stop blaming everybody else and and take a look at yourself and your own actions. And somebody like Sean, the gentleman I was referring to in the book, just refused to educate himself. No one has to go to a four-year college necessarily to gain the information about the music business, although it's a smart thing to do, but you don't have to do that. There's the internet, there are books, and this person re- professed to go to music business conferences on a regular basis. So I can't imagine being at a conference where there are music business professionals and you're not asking questions and trying to figure things out and, and realizing where things make sense and where they don't. So it's really about educating yourself and taking your own career seriously. So few artists do that. It's it's um you know, I mean, you you have to study to become a real estate agent or a dentist. But to be in the music business, all you have to do is be able to perform. Hmm. And unfortunately, so few people study in conjunction with their their performance, their talent, and they are the ones who get taken advantage of.
1: It sounds to me like you're saying that uh musicians sell themselves short if they don't think of themselves as Business people as well as artists. That's
0: exactly right. That's exactly right. What we do here at Berkeley, for example, in the music business department and the um, the uh, Institute for Creative Entrepreneurship in particular, we make sure that students think of themselves as businesses. Yes, you are a musician. Uh, sometimes I'm a little more harsh about the business aspects, meaning not only are you a musician, but you you and your art is also a commodity. And sometimes there's an argument between art and commerce, and I understand that. But if you want to eat, you might need to think of your art as commerce, at least for a little while, so that you can provide people with something that they want and need enough to be willing to pay for it. And that's what business is all about.
1: Hmm. So you spent 14 years in the music industry uh, as, a, as an attorney, as an executive. What What led you to shift into teaching from that?
0: Wow. You know what? The industry itself led to that shift because when I graduated law school, and I'm not going to tell my age, but it was in the late 90s, the music industry was introduced to um, a horrific tragedy called Napster just as I was graduating. So although I was able to get jobs in the industry, I was not able to keep a job in the industry because every company I worked for either closed, they were taken over by another company, they merged with someone else, they went out of business, and I was literally changing jobs every two to three years. Mm. Uh, Very hard to build any longevity. And it's true that you know if you want job security, entertainment or music is not where you you not your first place to go. But at the same time, it is possible. But I was hopping around a lot. And my last position at MGM, I remember going into the office and picking up a Hollywood reporter, uh, or it could have been a billboard. I don't remember the exact magazine, but it was a trade paper. And on the cover it said, MGM in talks with Sony, which meant that any minute now we were going to either be bought out or merge with Sony Entertainment and that we would probably all lose our jobs. And the interesting thing about it was I started full time teaching at the University of Memphis in August of 04. In May of 05 was the last day of work for everyone at MGM Music. So the writing was on the wall, and I had been teaching part-time, teaching entertainment law at local law schools, and I enjoyed teaching, but I wasn't ready to step into it full-time. So it was the industry that forced me to make a decision, and it was to either, um, you know, continue to hop around without a 401K or any kind of retirement or, or any kind of security, or to do the other thing that I loved doing, which was teaching, and ended up loving teaching, love it far more than I ever did practicing law.
1: Seems like the best of both worlds for you.
0: Oh, absolutely, because now I get to teach what I learned in law school and in the business. So I was able to merge the two together. You know, it'd be different if I was just uh, teaching English, you know, and not using my law degree and not using my 14 years of experience. But... I have fortunately been able to do exactly that.
1: You mentioned this this seismic shift that happens in the late '90s with Napster, uh, and the way that the industry landscape just totally collapses on itself uh, with that moment. Um, it strikes me that we might be in a in a another kind of seismic shifting moment in the industry now with the mainstreaming of streaming services and things like that. That's correct. Um, and that this poses very different challenges for someone who might want to enter the music industry. Do you have any thoughts on how, um, how uh, an up-and-coming musician or, or a music entrepreneur might, uh, might approach this landscape?
0: That's a, that's a really good question because every once in a while, a little more common than I would like, I run into students who say they want a record deal or they want to be able to attract major labels. And that bothers me a little bit because that's an old business model, which means their thinking is old and antiquated. And what they need to do is think about today's landscape and how they're going to survive in it. It's true, unless you have a gazillion streams, you're probably not going to make a lot of money streaming. It's also true that no one buys records anymore, depending on the genre. They're not even downloading from iTunes anymore, depending on the genre. They're streaming. So depending on who your audience is, sometimes the only way to make money is to perform live. Many people spend all their time in the studio recording, which is fine to a certain extent, but they're not spending any time cultivating their onstage show, their performance. So they may be great in a studio, but they're terrible on stage in front of people. And that's something that they need to change and to change now. Because most of your money, even if you did have a record deal and were with a record label, most of your money is still going to be made on the road. Not only that, but there are other opportunities, opportunities in Publishing, for example, getting your music in independent films or in TV commercials, even if they're local or um, on on a television show, which is, of course, harder to do. But um, uh, thinking about ways of merchandising and thinking of ways to bring value to your performance and to your music so that people will spend the time and the money on it. So I just think it's a matter of... Thinking about today and tomorrow versus thinking about how it worked yesterday because those days are gone.
1: That seems to be a, a natural outgrowth of taking responsibility for your own career. That's
0: right because that's where the education comes from. If you're still asking for a record deal, you need to read my book because you are so living in the past. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a superstar, and it is true that superstardom very often comes from the, the economic support that you get from a major record company or publishing company even. But you, the more they give you, the more they take from you. And that's another thing that people don't realize. Right now, you own 100% of everything you do. If you get with a major record company or a major publisher, you won't own any percentage of what you do. The scary part is that's what we see on TV, and that's what we see in the trades, and that's what we hear in commercials, and it just seems so exciting, but it's not always that way. When I think about someone like Beyonce, for example, she works her butt off, and for her to perform to the level that she does in six-inch heels— that takes a lot of work. I don't I'm not even talking about her recordings or the time she spends in the studio or rehearsals or being on the road or traveling and she's got kids and the whole shebang. I'm just thinking about she can dance in six inch heels. Something mm-hmm. I cannot do. A lot of people just don't see the work involved. They just see the superstardom. And they figure the only way to get there is through a major label. And as chance the rapper, that's not the case.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, they they sort of assume that the rest will just fall into place if you can get discovered on the merit of your recorded music alone or on the merit of your demo or, or something like that. That's correct.
0: That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. When there's so much more to it than just that. You know, you may be exceptionally talented, but there may be several reasons why you're not getting what you think you deserve. Some of those reasons could be, for example, I, in my book I say that... Um, that you may be talented, but nobody likes you. It's really hard when you're dealing with creative people because creative people tend to have egos. Not all, but some. Because they're good and they know they're good. But sometimes when you know you're good, it shows and it manifests itself in a way that people are not attracted to. So I'm beating around the bush. In other words, what I'm really trying to say is, you come off as an asshole. And nobody wants to work with an asshole. No one wants to work with somebody that they don't get along with or that's belligerent or that's, that's hard to handle or that's got an ego or that's got an attitude problem. People want to work with people that they like. Now, will we work with someone like that? If it's paying the bills, absolutely we will. If you're bringing in the dollars, we'll work with you no matter how bad your attitude is. But initially, in order for you to get to, through the door, somebody has to like
1: you. So these are some of the, um, I, I imagine, what you call the inner obstacles that yes, you talk about in your book.
0: That's right. And the inner obstacles go even further. The inner obstacles are things like insecurity, um, fear, in particular fear. There is a lot of fear in being who you are, in being yourself, that a lot of artists suffer from. I get the opportunity to witness some very talented people musicians here at Berkeley. Unfortunately, though, many of them start to create personas that look very much like what we've already seen. I would like to see musicians be who they are authentically. And your audience can tell. The audience can tell. I'm telling you. They can tell when you're being fake. They can tell when you're just copying somebody else. They can tell when you're just doing it for the money. They can tell when you're not being authentic or being inauthentic.
1: In some ways, it sounds like then the best Business decision is also likely the best artistic decision, which is to express yourself in a, in a more pure and an authentic way.
0: Absolutely. The best business decision absolutely is the best artistic decision. And it's the best personal decision for you as a human being. Because if you be yourself, you don't have to remember what you said or how you were yesterday because you're the same person every day. It makes it a lot easier to get through life. But it also makes your, your music sound better feel better to other people, and it makes people want to get to know you. And that's another thing, too, which drives me crazy. Um, I've been dating, quote-unquote, a lot lately, and I think about how musicians tend to date their fans.
1: Hmm.
0: Your fans want a relationship with you. They don't want to just date you. They want a relationship with you. If you're an artist who builds a relationship from the beginning, and what I mean by that is when you're in a relationship with someone, you care about them, you care about the things they're interested in, you care about the things that they do. We don't, as musicians, ask our audience enough about who they are and what they like and what they want to do and the things that they care about in their lives. Instead, it's all about me, 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 me. Come buy buy my CD. Come go to my show. Come download my song. Come stream my music. Come add me to your playlist, right? And when it really should be a a two-way Conversation. It's a relationship. It's really a a marriage when you think about it.
1: Can you think of any artists that are carrying on that kind of dialogue with their with their audience?
0: You know what? I um, I haven't seen her do a lot of music lately because she's been acting a lot. But I felt that way about Lady Gaga. Most definitely, she has a conversation with her artists, and I mean with her fans, and they love her. They love her because she's a real person. She's a real human being. They can see that. They can tell that she's authentic. And many musicians, I think, aren't quite that real.
1: That's great. So, Tanya, is there a way to both take personal responsibility and uh, perhaps to hold those in the industry to a higher standard if if we encounter corruption or things like that?
0: You know what? I'm going to tell you how I honestly feel about that. The only person that you can control is you. There, you can say, okay, you know, people shouldn't be corrupt or they shouldn't rip people off or they shouldn't take advantage. We can say that all day long till we're blue in the face. The only person you can control, however, is you. Yes, it would be great if the industry took some, uh, uh, were a lot more accountable for some of the behaviors that happen within it. Um, being a label lawyer for as long as I was, I personally don't see an issue with the industry, as much as I do with maybe some of the individuals and the practices, that doesn't make the, the entire industry bad. You know, there are some bad apples and there are some practices that have been in place over the years that have not been advantageous to musicians or artists. But when you come from my point of view, which is it's a business and business is about making money, then things make a little bit more sense. Doesn't mean they're right but it does, they do make more sense. Now, as far as, you know, the, the crooks out there, there will be times, no matter how educated you are, that you might get taken advantage of, that somebody might rip you off, no matter what your level of education. The real key is to learn from your mistakes, right? If it happens once, shame on you. If it happens twice, shame on me. So there are times where you can be as prepared as you can be and there's just someone just really, really savvy or some situation that you get in that is just so perfectly structured to um, not be to your advantage, I'll say, that there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can do is once it's happened, just don't let it happen again. That's the best advice I can give.
1: Tanya, thank you so much for uh, for speaking with me today. Uh, Any final words for us?
0: Sure, sure. Well, my book, once again, is called The Music Business is Corrupt, or Maybe You Just Can't Sing. And there's a saying that I've attached to the book that says, when there's no one left to blame, maybe it's you. And when you take personal responsibility and when you're accountable for your own career, you don't blame other people or other things or other situations for the fact that you're not rich and famous the way you think you should be. You take responsibility for that, and then you do something about it. Because much of what I say in the book, and I outline this on the cover as well, I say to your face what other people are saying about you behind your back, And that's where much of what is in the book came from, you know, conversations with myself and other people in the industry. And we're sitting around talking about artists like, can you believe how stupid he is? Or can you believe what she did? Or, you know, we're just having conversations. And it's so true. It happens all the time. You have no idea what we're saying about you behind your back. So I am trying to make some of those things accessible to you so that you can make the changes necessary to succeed.
1: Tanya Butler's book, The Music Business is Corrupt or Maybe You Just Can't Sing How to Take Responsibility for Your Struggling Career, is available now on Amazon. This episode was engineered by Tony Brown at the Berkeley Internet Radio Network Studios and edited by Darcy Davis. I'm John Mirasola. This is Sounds of Berkeley.